I guess in my teenage years, I had some issues with that, going through and going, well, where do I fit? How do I fit in? What's the exception and stuff? And, you know, it's, it's a topic that's brought up. It's like, you know, people see me talk and deliver, oh, it's here. Like, what does he have? Disability, whatever. I have a brother who does have a disability. He was born two years before me. His name is Trent, and he was born with a condition called Prader-Willi syndrome. Prader-Willi, I said, you know that feeling in your stomach that tells you when you're full? He doesn't have that. So he's always hungry, he's always looking for food. So we grew up in a household where we literally locked the fridge pantry. And we couldn't send him to a facility because there's no facility in the country that handles Prader-Willi. As of about a month or so ago, one did open up, but that cutoff was 40. He's now 46. Before we get on with Dane's story, let me tell you a little bit about the global Stories That Stir movement. Our mission is to facilitate a revolution of human connection through storytelling. If you haven't already, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handles, no, not the love handles, the social handles, is Stories That Stir. And now to stir things up. All right, so our next storyteller is a lovely man called Dane Heiser. (laughs) Dane has a fan in the house, (laughs) and he'll probably have a lot more fans after he shares his story. He's a Sydney-based comedian, actor, fundraiser, and a promoter. He's performed with the likes of the Doug Anthony All-Stars, Fiona Lachlan, Merrick Watts, and more. He's now the head of individual giving for a charity focused on funding vital kids' cancer research. So please welcome to the stage, Dane Heiser. Thank you, Monica. Everyone, round of applause for Monica. Great job. And it's good to know I have at least one fan. So at the end, I hope you all divert to the Dane Heiser fan club and standing ovation for about 10 minutes should be fine. Now, thank you for having me. I've always been told when I do these nights, don't try to be funny, and that's what I always do, so I'm going to try to try not to be funny. So go with me, I won't pass that at all, but stick with me. Now, on that point, for me, and I think a lot of people in this room, humour is a coping mechanism. Because it was very clear to me from a young age and growing to, to now, that I wasn't your normal kind of guy or kid or whatever it was at that stage. A little bit different, moved a bit different, looked a bit different, sounded a bit different. And obviously through school, there were some issues there. But then I worked out the way to do it. Like the only way to embrace that, live with that and work with that is to lean into it and lean into it hard, right? Just embrace it, embrace all your quirks, all your eccentricities, all your everything that you've got, everything that gives you this kind of package here, embrace it all. Just live it, love it, explore it, even expand on it, flaunt it, put it out there. You know, I think you can see with me the way I get on stage, the way I move, the way I talk, the way I eat a meal, the way I go to sleep, the way I sit up, the way I sit down, the way I walk down the stairs, the way I do anything, the way I have conversations and just go over and over. You see, they're not that normal. (laughs) But I think you know, especially after the cluster, you know what, of the last three years, you know that there is no normal anymore. So finally, everyone's catching up with me, which is nice. It's, it's very nice. So that kind of sparked my, I guess in my teenage years, I had some issues with that, going through and going, well, where do I fit? How do I fit in? What's the exceptions and stuff? And, you know, it's, it's a topic that's brought up. It's like, you know, people see me talk and deliver, oh, it's here. Like, what does he have? Disability, whatever. I have a brother 
who does have a disability. He was born two years before me. His name is Trent, and he was born with a condition called Prader-Willi syndrome. Now, yeah, I see you know, not many people know this one, so extra points to you. Prader-Willi, you know that feeling in your stomach that tells you when you're full? He doesn't have that. So he's always hungry, he's always looking for food. So we grew up in a household where we literally locked the fridge and pantry. And we couldn't send him to a facility because there's no facility in the country that handles Prader-Willi. As of about a month or so ago, one did open up, but that cutoff was... 40. He's now 46. The average lifespan for someone with Prada Willie is 25 to 30 years old. He's now 46. And that's a testament to my family, to all us living with him, growing up, making sure he got the best support and care and everything he needed. So for that, my mum and my dad, particularly my mum, are the saviours of my brother. And something that now, with recent times, things I've been through, the saviours of me too. So I'm very appreciative and supportive of all that. And I guess to kind of cut a long story short a little bit is that always you grow up and you realise every now and then, you know, I grew up throwing jokes out, some bad, some really bad, some worse, some the worst, and some like unbearable repeating, but some good. So I do all gamut of the jokes, right, pretty much. And I do it to help me realise myself, to fit in, to get, to get the attention that I wanted, but not for the things I didn't want to get the attention for, if that kind of makes sense. You know, I want to go, well, this is me, I own it, I'm the best, this is great, right? So, yeah, so I thought uh, I'll lead into it. Even like school, right, school age, you know, I just thought, yeah, why not? I'll be the idiot in the classroom. I'll be the idiot that says the wrong funny thing at the wrong time. I'll be the idiot that challenges the girl in his class to a fight in like the study rooms and lose miserably. I'll be the idiot that will dress up as a tree for a fancy dress day. I'm the idiot that will get on and host a talent quest where the guy with the least amount of talent did the hosting and walked on a stage with a lunch bag on my head and dancing to the song, you know, like trying something, here's Johnny. You won't because, you know, I can judge by the blank expressions. But <laughs> there's a line that just, here's Johnny, right? The character doing the chorus. And I literally, my name in school, nickname was Danger, right? So I came on stage lunch bag on the head, dancing around like an idiot, and I had recorded that song, Here's Johnny, because we didn't have any technology like that like we do today, and I stopped it, tape recorder, said the word danger into a tape recorder and continued it. So I was like, here's, meh, danger, bang, back into it. I love the attention so much. And that's, you know, that's what kind of got me through, because when you're on stage, whether you laugh or you engage or you create stunning expressions like now, you tend to like go... This is where I'm most comfortable. So I, before I kind of got into doing stand-up, is I went to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival because I discovered my love was stand-up comedy. But not, any, not every stand-up comedy, live stand-up comedy. You guys prove in this room, having people around, sharing the experiences, looking on a performer and kind of like engaging all that together. To be honest with you, that is the only way to truly enjoy stand-up comedy, or any kind of comedy, really. Share it with a room, share it with an audience, and feel bonded for that like 10 minutes or you know, an hour, which I'm about to do, to kind of embrace all that and go through with it, right? So I thought, right, live comedy. So I went to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival five years in a row and stayed about eight or nine nights, and in that time saw, without exaggeration, a total of 30 shows because I'm clinically insane. 
And I loved it. I loved it, right? I went to each show, one after the other, went to the festival club, other, after, kind of mingled with all my heroes in comedy and stuff. And, you know, it was just great, a good feeling. And then a little while after, like, the fifth time I went there, I went to the Sydney, so the Sydney Comedy Festival, last week today, I think, actually. I went there and I saw a comedian called Justin Hamilton. Now, without you know, going to, to who he is, because I don't care, it's about me right now, but he, he told a story that was three hours long. One night, so it was literally hour story, break, hour, finish. And he obviously was very funny, but he touched on a very lot of sensitive topics that have been raised tonight, suicide, depression, all those kinds of things. And he told a story that was so tragic, but somehow everyone walked out with a smile on their face. How does that happen? Like, you know, you, and with, you know, Patricia and everyone on the bill tonight has had that form of tragedy or be close to charity, a part of it or whatever, and has used that, like Patricia has, to embrace everything, to go, you know what, this is my superpower. Dealing with this level of grief and, you know, empowerment, this is my superpower. This is where I belong, this is what I want to do. And I want to use my learnings and my experiences to share with others and hope that leads to something better for those people. So, and as Monica said, as I work in non-profit, currently for a kids' cancer research charity, before that for Vinnie's as well too, some in Singapore. And so around that time I saw Justin and I thought, if anyone could do that, I can do that. And trust me, my history is nowhere near as, you know, tragic or anything as anybody. A lot of people here. Look, I've had a very good life, I have to admit. I've got a great family, great friends who are supportive and most importantly tolerant. And that's been a real plus for me, right? To have family and friends around me doing all that. But at the same time, it doesn't mean I don't have the hardship, right? As a guy who, like my brother, was born a bit different, but not actually technically diagnosed, I got, you know, all the symptoms of being disabled, but none of the perks. <laughs> my first words as a kid was NDIS. Oh, sorry, you told me not to be funny. I forgot. Sorry, I just can't switch it off. It's, you know, what I do. But that's the thing, right? So I thought, right, that's the way to do it. So I said, you know what? I think I do. I think I want to give it a go. So I mentioned it to my best mate at Vinny's at the time, called Andy. And every now and then we would go across to the Peterson Bowling Club for a drink. And after I kind of said this and put it out there, we sat around. He said, so are you going to give this thing a go? Do you want to do it? I'm not sure. I think so. And I'm very bad at decisions. And he said, well, have a think about it. So he went inside and he bought us some beers, came out. He was gone for about five or ten minutes, a bit longer. Came out, set the beers down and go, right, we're booked three weeks' time. <laughs> he was a musician and he said, yeah, I can, we can do a variety style show, do it here. You know, you do, he does the music, I do the comedy and then we have a break and come back and do a bit more. So I went, okay, that, that sounds all right. For some reason the deadline extended so I had more time. So I literally took two weeks off work and wrote, just wrote and wrote. Put all the stories together, tried to make them funny, tried to make them relevant. As you can imagine with a guy kind of, you know, carrying this kind of package, is that I always get mixed up in really weird situations. Really weird. Like, for example, friends of ours back in the day, there was actually the old Planet Hollywood, right? We were there in the city and there was like a space-themed restaurant, like a family-type place, right? I went into, you know, into the bathrooms and, you know, wash out my hands and a little person, I guess, I don't know if you call them that in these days, but, you know, a, a little person who came in and he saw me wash my hands and I just turned around and he just looked at me and said, hey, mate, want a root? 
And I said, this is absolutely true. No thanks, mate, I'll be right. <laughs> As in, not right now, I've got a headache. <laughs> Come and see me in the morning, right? Like, just like all, that's only one, one tiny little example of how messed up I am, but adorable, of course. So anyway, so I thought, right, I'll do it. So wrote everything, we did it at the bowling club, which wasn't a stand-up venue at that stage, by the way. It was just literal bowling club. Just had a mic and not even a stage, just a little dance floor area. So, yep, I did it, and I was nervous as hell, right? Shaking and just holding it and reading off the script and stuff. It's all right, it's okay, you can do this, Dan, you can do this. Come on. Went out. Now, a little bit of a backstory of the comedy scene is that when you start out in comedy, normally you do an open mic spot. So, yeah, Michael, no, a lot of comedians that would know. You go to open mic rooms, you do your five minutes at the most at that stage, and then either it goes well or it doesn't or whatever, and that's where you start your journey. My very first gig was that Peter and Bowling one. I didn't do five minutes, I did 45 minutes. Again, clinically insane. And then that was after my mate had done music, I did 45 minutes. And then we had a break, he came back and did music, I came back and did another half hour. So yes, there's a lot of people going, what the hell? And we did that show there and another one across the railway track about maybe five or six times. And that was great, fine, I thought, you know what, I'm ready. I'll go to my cars and just do what I can. And that, doing that, even though it was unconventional, was the biggest reliever for me. Because I realised I got it out. If I, can, you know, if I can perform in those kind of pubs and for that length of time, I'm going to do 10 minutes in a comedy club. Because now I'm here to entertain crowds, confuse crowds, whatever I can do, and just live it and embrace that true stuff. And just be funny and have fun. That's it. That's the idea. Thanks, guys.